Welcome to our weekly recording of the service here at Bigger and Blackmount Churches. I'm Mike Fucella, I'm the minister here, and we are so glad that you could join us. It's my prayer that you will be blessed by the message this week. If you'd like to find out more about us, please do get in touch. Contact me at biggerkirk09 at gmail.com. That's biggerkirk09, all lowercase, at gmail.com. So here's the message this week. I can tell that these, these folks are still on your heart, even after 20 years. And uh, um, we commend them to our prayers. Let us turn to God and pray now. Lord, thank you that you do love justice, that you yourself are just, that you take on other people's problems as your own. You take them on, and because you are an almighty God, you are able to deal with those problems. We thank you that you have shown your heart of justice and love supremely in the cross of Christ where you did not just sympathize with us, but you took on our suffering and pain and you gave us your hope and your life. We bring before you today loving, just, and almighty God, a a world reeling from the effects of climate change. And today we recognize the inequity of this situation. The poor in their smaller boats, those smaller, unstable, and leaking boats, do and will suffer more acutely on these stormy seas. So we cry out to you in the midst of this storm, adding our prayer to theirs and to the prayer of the prophet when he said, Rend the skies and come down. Lord God, in your power, come down and save as you have saved before and as you will save again. And as it is in in your very nature to do. And in your saving, in your coming, your acting, we ask you to move us, your people, to walk humbly with you in loving mercy and acting justly for the poor of this world. Make of us repairers of broken walls, restorers of empty streets. Make of us springs in gardens that ever flow for the refreshment of a thirsty land. In prayer now, we remember our sister Jean. Thank you for what she has meant to us as a congregation, what she has meant to her family and friends. We ask you to comfort them in this time of grief at her loss. 
Assure them of your constant love and eternal hope. We pray for others known to us who are suffering today, whether that be physically, emotionally, because of relationship breakdowns, or because of economic situations. We name these folks now before you in the silence. Lord, rend the heavens and come down to these. For we lift these prayers to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. At the end of the month, we are having a special gift day, and uh, a portion of the money that we raise on that gift day will will go to a cause that, that fits with our theme of creation care that we've been following throughout this series as we journey to COP26. And the cause that we have chosen to give to is, is Tear Funds Harvest Appeal that will go to help communities in parts of the world who are suffering some of the worst effects of climate change. In the particular um, project that our offerings will go to is located in Burkina Faso. On the 31st of this month, the end of the month, we'll have a video about that particular project. But today we have something much better than a video. We have David Alcorn, Cass's son, who, when he was just out of high school, I believe, spent some time in Burkina Faso with Tear Fund and got to know the kind of situation that we are called to be concerned about today. So it's an immense treat to have David here to share with us some of his firsthand experience there and show us some of his photographs that he took when he was there. David. Hiya. Uh, yes, I am Kaz's son. Uh, so, obviously, when uh, Mike talked about this and when my mum asked me whether I'd come and speak to you guys, um, the, the best solution usually when my mum asks you to do something is just to say yes. Um, it, it works out best in the long run, and uh, I owe her a fair few favours anyway, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's no bother to do that. Now, as a fresh-faced 18-year-old, which is a long while back now, yeah, I, I travelled out with Tearfund to Burkina Faso um, to spend time as part of a team um, expanding a school. Um, so we went out there, Tearfund raised the cash um, for the building works for the school, and there was a team of us who went out. Um, there was no JCBs, there was no power tools. I don't even remember seeing a spirit level amongst what we had. It was uh, just hand picks and shovels and we slept on the floor of the existing school building um, and, and worked every day there. 
Um, now, the local kids came to visit us every day, um, bringing goats, donkeys, horrifically large, terrifying machetes, um, and kind of came along and joined in the fun. Um, now, usually, like, like I say, the kids turned up with all this livestock and smaller siblings and had the responsibility for those kids and those animals, had the responsibility for collecting firewood on the way home, hence the huge machetes as well. And the kids had a lot that they had to do, but they still turned up with big smiles on their face, brilliant sense of humour, and which was probably fueled by the strange habits of some of the funny foreigners that had turned up in there kind of village, um, we were really welcomed and looked after. We were invited to visit families, share meals, and what extra people had, they shared with us. Um, but people lived a, a quite a tough, a tough life. Um, so currently, it's estimated that there is over 1.5 million children who are at risk of food insecurity in Burkina Faso, with around 350,000 children who are need, in need of emergency medical assistance, and that only 11.4% of kids under the age of two receive the recommended daily number of meals that they should have. It's really tough. The climate out there is massively unstable. There's two seasons. There's a wet season and a dry season. And it is massively at risk of flood and drought. And also, you know, what would have been called in the Bible times plagues of insects, of crickets and locusts that can decimate crops in no time at all. And, I mean, you see from some of the photos, it can be a beautiful, green and lush place. But then, all it takes is for that weather to change. And especially at the moment where the climate has changed, that is a real fragile knife edge that these guys are living on. So, despite this, the kids still came out and played with us. People sang and danced, and, the and they turned up to church and they made sure they had their Sunday best on, you know, which was always amazing. Churches supported each other, both in practical means and in faith, which is what I believe what the Tear Fund program is going to be about moving forward, is that these communities can support each other through their faith, but the church will also take on a practical role with helping local people learn about sustainable farming techniques, what they can do to practically protect their crops, to ensure that there is a greater level of food security moving forward. And that's why I'm really happy that, you know, 20 odd years on, that Tear Fund is still supporting people in this country. 
and that they are still working towards change there. Um, now, as good as I am at digging trenches and shoveling and playing British Bulldog with kids and having all of that, you know, I, I kind of believe the main benefit of me going out and doing this kind of stuff is that not the kind of physical blood, sweat and tears while you're over there, but also it's being able to come back and speak to people over here and talk about the reality of the situation over there. Um, so I really appreciate your time today because that's kind of as worthwhile as anything else. So cheers. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me okay? I've had some drama with my microphone and my hair. Dad's short hair works a lot better with this than mine does. Um, as a way of introduction, I've met many of you before. You'll have seen me around. I'm Rachel. I'm Mike and Jane's eldest daughter. Um, I've been hanging around bigger like a bad smell for the last few months. But before that, I was working as an A&E nurse down in London. Um, and I'm waiting on sort of next steps in my journey going forward, possibly going overseas. Um, and so really waiting on God in that time. And so being at home, Dad thought he would put me to work, keep me out of trouble and mischief. And he's asked me today to speak about uh, this passage that we're looking at, Isaiah 58. And it's a passage that I really love. I, I have a, a passion and a love for a lot of the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. I love the way in which they speak with such conviction um, they really challenge us and yet at the same time bring such hope and joy and remind us to look to God for our strength and our help. Um, so we're going to look at Isaiah 58 today and um, to give a little bit of context before we dive in, I want to talk about where this is happening in the Bible and who is speaking um, so in the Bible study we did on Tuesday, we identified that this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. A few chapters earlier, it begins with, this is what the Lord says. Um, and then this is God speaking directly to his people. And his people at the time are returned exiles from Babylon. They're God's people who have been pulled from the promised land to Babylon and now are coming home. But it's a time of great fear and uncertainty it's a time of strife and conflict. Not all the returnees are being treated well by those that are, are already in the land. There's infighting between families. People are really turning their backs on each other. And yet in the midst of all this strife, you see these outward acts of religious piety. People are fasting. They're asking God, why aren't you paying attention to us? And in the context of this it feels almost like their worship is transactional. It's as if they're saying, God, you owe us. We're doing all the things you've told us to in terms of our religious practice. We're fasting. We're putting on sackcloths. So God, why aren't you listening to us? You, you need to listen to us. And there's a contrast as well between their duty to these duties, their fasting and their prayers, and yet at the same time their exploitation of their workers, of others, of their infighting and their cruelty. 
So what does this passage have to say to us today? And what does it have to say specifically about climate justice? Well, um, I like a three-point sermon. I like to have my three points to hang everything off. So my three points today are these. The first is we can see so clearly in this passage that God is a God of justice. The second, and Mike has already spoken about it in the children's talk, is that the climate crisis as it is now is inherently unjust. There is great injustice being perpetrated in our world. And the third point is that we are called to seek justice alongside God, with God. So let's begin exploring some of those points. So we'll go to my first point here. And somebody is doing my slides for me, which is really nice, because I forgot all about them. So that's perfect. So let's look about the word justice to begin with. So the word justice in ancient Hebrew is the word mishpat. And you can translate it various different ways, but the translation I like the best and the one that I feel fits the best and speaks clearly to me is mishpat means to make other people's problems my problems. It's to have a concern for the vulnerable, the poor, and the marginalized. It's about equity, about people having their rights under God's law. And sometimes we might think that to seek to make other people's problems our problems is against our, our nature. It's against sort of that protective shield we put up. We have enough problems of our own. Why would we want to seek other people's problems too? But then we think about relationships that we have. For example, with our children. I don't have any children, but I have my parents, and sometimes it feels like I parent my parents. Um, and we love our parents, and we love our children. And when they have problems, they become our own out of that love, that desire to be with them, that desire to, to hold the things that are hard alongside them. And I think that's a beautiful metaphor and an image of God's love for his world and the kind of love he calls us to share with everyone, not just our kin. And so if we go through the Old and the New Testament, we see the character of God defined by this love, this love of justice, this concern for the needs and problems of others again and again. In the Old Testament alone, the word mishpat is used over 400 times. And that doesn't include the hundreds of times the word for righteousness is used. So if we take a sort of speedy journey through the Bible, we start in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the story of God's people Israel. We see in Deuteronomy 10, verses 17 to 18, For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, accepts no brides, bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you giving them food and clothing. So we see in these passages where God is setting out the law for his people in his passages concerned with the Jubilee and um, the laws for a good and righteous society, that justice is in the core of that. It's in the fabric of that. It's in the very cornerstones of that. And then if we move through to the Psalms, oh my goodness, these PowerPoint presentation people are amazing. Um, we see in the Psalms this, this hymn 
of a God who is a just God, but also calls his people to justice. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free, gives sight to the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous and he watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow and frustrates the way of the wicked. And then we move on into the prophets. We've gone through the Pentateuch, we've gone through the Psalms, now we're in the prophets. And we see in Isaiah, but also in Zechariah, in Micah, in Jeremiah, and the minor prophets too, passages that echo this one, chapter 58, in that they call out those who are seemingly religiously observant, who go through the motions, who do the things that they're told to do, but who lack that heart for injustice that heart to bring about justice. And we see some really stern rebukes in these prophets. We see them saying things like, this is hypocrisy, that this is an offense to God, not only to to not care, but to not care and go through the motions as if you are caring. We see in Zechariah 7, verses 10 to 11, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, But then we see what the people did. They refused to pay attention. They stubbornly turned their backs and covered their ears. Then I want to bring us to Micah as well, another of the prophets. And this is a verse that many of us will know really well. And it's one that I think beautifully brings together what God does call us in to do. He calls us to have not only a sense of action, to do, but also the heart in which we are to do it. What does God require of you but to do justice, the action, but to also love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? There is the action of the justice, but it's married with this attitude of humility and love. And we see this reflected in Isaiah 58 as well. And then as we move through the Bible, we're now past the prophets, we come to Jesus, the best bit in my opinion. And I love the fact that Jesus' opening sermon is, in fact, a call to justice. As he sat down in the temple that day, he opened the scroll of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 41. And in Luke 4, uh, verses 17 to 18, we see, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. Our God is a God of justice. He loves justice. He seeks justice. He is just. And through Jesus, he brings about ultimate justice, loving justice, merciful justice. So let me move on to my second point of my three now, and that is that the climate crisis that we're currently in is unjust. It is a situation of great injustice. Tim Gordon, who's a marine biologist but also renowned climate activist and Christian, says climate change directly threatens the lives of millions of people. If your church is serious about loving people, it has to be serious about climate change. You see, 
The climate crisis, and I'm sure we've all been exposed to the news headlines, bulletins, documentaries, things for school and work. We've had uh, almost an information overload about this issue at this time. But it's because it's not just an environmental issue, it's not just a social issue, an economic issue, a political issue. It's a justice issue, and it's a God issue. It's something that God cares passionately and deeply about. And that view is shared by many Christians across this country and the world. Because millions are already being impacted by the climate crisis, both here in the UK and internationally. And we're going to hear a bit more from David about um, his experiences of working with people who um, are now directly being affected by climate change. But even in the UK, we've had an increase in the severity of storms. We've had erratic weather patterns. We've seen people struggle in the face of the climate crisis in our own country. But we also acknowledge that those who are most vulnerable across the world, those who are uh, the 3.5 billion poorest, are responsible for just 10% of emissions. So although they shoulder perhaps the smallest slice of the blame for this crisis we find ourselves in, they are taking the greatest weight of the impact. Tier Fund estimates that 116 million people are at risk of losing direct access to clean drinking water in the next few years. And since 2016, despite the decades of work and improvement that we saw, rates of hunger and famine are actually now on the increase rather than the decrease. Dad shared a video, Mike, sorry, shared a video, I'll interchange between the two, um, yesterday, which is a documentary about farmers in Mauritania um, who, because of increasing temperatures, they're now living at an average of 50 degrees Celsius, um, are having to feed their livestock cardboard because there are no crops. We see that the poorest and most vulnerable in society are the ones who are most impacted by the crisis that we're seeing now. And I could go on and give more and more examples, but what I want us to hold on to is this passage here. And what is God saying to us from Isaiah? So I'll go to my third point now. We are called to seek justice with God. We see that God, having made us in his image, we know he is just, seeks for us to also seek justice. We innately know what fairness is. We know that from when we're small children. When we're in, we were in Blackmount just now, there was a toddler and and I just thought, you know, even from toddlers, we know when someone has a toy that we don't have. We have that sense and drive of, of wanting what is fair and right. And so that comes from God, I believe. And we're instructed and commanded by God to act on that, to seek his justice, to, to be his image in that way. In Jeremiah 22, verse 3, it says, This is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. But... What does that mean? It can feel at this time and facing this enormity of a crisis that we can be overwhelmed. I know that rates of eco-anxiety are on the rise in children and young people, but also in, in 
older people as well, as we're overwhelmed by these stats and information and stories. So how does God respond? Well, firstly, he doesn't give us an impossible task to carry out alone. He doesn't set us to do something and then abandon us to get on with it. No, he, he's already at work. He's already working to restore his world, to restore shalom, which is that peace that transcends understanding, the coming together of all things, the renewal and restoration of his kingdom. And we know that Jesus on the cross has already won this war for us. Jesus, who embodied mishpat, who embodied justice, who had no sin of his own, took on our sin in perfect love so that we could be freed, so that justice could be done. And he doesn't abandon us in this crisis. Instead, Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God equip and embolden us to face it. We are called in this passage to spend ourselves knowing that God will continue to replenish and restore us as we draw close to him. As I've said, I've, I've been working in, in A&E for the last few years and, and the last 18 months or so um, before I, I sort of left permanent work. Um, I've been going down to do the odd shift and, and keep myself out of trouble, but I left my permanent post there back in April. Um, and there were many times in the the year that preceded that, that I felt like I was truly spending myself. And that's not to speak highly of me or, or um, to, to brag, but to be at the point where you feel like you have nothing left to give is a place that I found myself very often. And yet to know that God is my source of strength and power and grace, and that however much is spent out will be refilled. I think that is what got me through that very difficult time and continues to push me forward, not only in the gurneys of A&E, but in this crisis as well. And that's something I want to share with you today. In his book, Generous Justice, Tim Keller writes that we have two primary motivations for seeking justice. The first, a joyful awe before the goodness of God's creation. A joyful awe and the second, the experience of God's grace and redemption. And we see that through Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate giver of grace, the ultimate redeemer. And although sometimes it can feel like we're just being called into a fight and a battle, and that's exhausting, I think we can also see that seeking justice in the climate crisis is an opportunity for great joy to come close to God, to come close to others. And we see again and again in this passage that God promises that when we seek justice, he will protect us. He will answer our call. I want to bring um, to your attention specifically verses 11 to 12. As some of you know, I spent some time in Iraq a few years ago, in northern Iraq. It's a country that's um, it's experienced a fair amount of conflict. Um, and I was there... Uh, a few months after the ISIS withdrawal from Mosul. Um, but it's also a country that uh, experienced great hardship in terms of the climate. Average temperatures have been on the rise there and water sources are drying up, partly in a conflict over water with Turkey, but also just because of, of 
the climate crisis itself, and, and people are very directly impacted in that place. And when I hear this passage, when it talks about um, the raising up and rebuilding of ancient ruins, the restorer of streets with dwelling, I think about these streets that I saw in Erbil, um, and I think about God's goodness even in a place of such brokenness and pain. In a desert filled with broken buildings and streets, God is still on the move. God's spirit is present. And I met some incredible people there. God is promising to work his restoration in that place, but also here in bigger and across the world. And he asks us to join in this work of restoration while promising to restore us in the process as well. So to wind up my three points, I'll just summarize. We know that God is a God who loves justice, who is just, that it is a core part of his character to seek justice. We know that the climate crisis is a crisis of great injustice. And we know that God invites us to join with him to bring justice to our world and that he restores us and this world in the process. So I'm a nurse, so I'm very much about the practicality. So what, what does this mean practically? What does this mean for right now, in the coming weeks, in the coming months? Well, I think the answer is, again, back in the passage in Isaiah 58. In that heading, true fasting, what does that mean? I think God is calling us at this time into a season of prayer and intercession. We have these world leaders from across the planet coming to Glasgow, coming just down the road. And I think we're being invited to draw close to God, to seek his ways and his wisdom, alongside those across Scotland already praying and those around the world. And praying actively and hopefully that God will show us what practical actions we need to take forward from that. How our lives can demonstrate God's love and justice and not just be observant of a religious practice, but how he can transform our whole lives. And this may involve some sacrifice. It may involve some changes to our lifestyle or our choices. But like we know from this passage, God will be with us and he will replenish us when we spend of ourselves. So I just want us to go back to the passage again, if we can, and just read those last few verses. So I'm going to re read from verse, um, verse 6 to 9, actually. So 58 verses 6 to 9. And if you'd like, please close your eyes at this time and uh, take a moment just to hear what God might be saying or the Spirit might be saying to you in this. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn 
and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. There are lots of proud parents in our congregation this morning, but uh, there are two sets of parents that are more proud than others this morning because our children are participating in the service this morning. My daughter, Rachel, is going to be sharing from God's Word later, and and David Alcorn is also going to be sharing with us, and uh, he is uh, Kaz's son. So we've got lots to look forward to this morning as we come to worship God. Let's approach him in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord God, at the dawn of time, you spoke light, life, and order into darkness and chaos. In your creation, all was right and all was loved. And even though all is still loved by you, God, who is love, through our sin in our hearts and in our world, darkness and confusion in so many ways has come creeping back. We confess, Lord, that we have played a part in that creeping darkness. Through your word, you have shown us clearly your goodness and kindness, and you've shown us what you expect of us as those who bear your image. And yet, Lord, we fail. We fail to live according to that image that we bear. We have seen the wounded stranger, and yet we've walked by on the other side of the road. We've seen the devastation of your earth, and we have joined in. Like the priest and the Levi, we have often played at being religious, but we have failed at being just. And in the silence now, we ask for your forgiveness for our sins, both those we do deliberately those we commit unwittingly. Father of mercy, in the light of your great mercy, poured out for us in the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, we ask you now to cleanse our hearts by the inspiring, the breathing out of your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we breathe you in now. Come and be our life. As we gather here this morning, Spirit, give us new vision. Confirm in each of us the gifts that you have given us. Fill our hearts with your unshakable hope. Hope even in the face of despair. 
We pray now the prayer that Jesus taught all who would follow after him. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory. Amen. Hazel's going to come and bring us our reading this morning. This morning's reading is taken from Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 to 12. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for the people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. 
You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Welcome to Bigger Kirk. Uh, did you see those, those photographs? You're seeing them now on the screen. Uh, they, are, they are on display at the Gillespie Center. They were yesterday. Are they still there? Does anyone know? Still, no, they're not there. They took them away. Um, they come from an organization called Stitches for Survival. It's a group of knitters, crocheters, stitchers, and crafters. And they're making a, a tapestry of all these crafts that they've, they've knitted and they've crocheted and, and they've put together. And it will be 1.5 miles long. There are people from all over the world that are doing this in a response to the climate change crisis that we're facing. 1.5 miles represents that 1.5 degrees centigrade that we are, have as a target um, to, to, to keep to in terms of the increase of the temperature of our earth. Um, after COP26, uh, some of those things that they have, have made will be repurposed as, as blankets for refugees. And they will take that 1.5 mile long uh, tapestry to Glasgow for the end of the month for COP26. I have sad news this morning. Uh, one of our congregation, one of our beloved congregation, Jean Kirkpatrick passed away this last week and we remember her family and her friends in our prayers. We come to worship God who is a God who gives us hope even in the face of climate change and death. And we sing our first hymn as we worship him. Be thou my vision. Let's stand and sing. <laughs> 